0: This evening, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 8. As we continue the march of Israel through the land of promise, we come to what is really a conclusion of a small pericope. Pericope is just a fancy word that means section. Of Joshua 6, 7, and 8. Here, the victory... God gives to Israel over Ai. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. "...lay an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua arose, and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor, and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I... And all the people who are with me will approach the city and it will come about when they come out against us as at the first that we shall flee before them for they will come out after us till we have drawn from them, sorry, drawn them from the city for they will say they are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver you into, its, into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord you shall do. See, I have commanded you. Joshua therefore sent them, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed be, between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai, but Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near, and they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai, so he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai. On the west side of the city, and when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now it happened, when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people at an appointed place before the plain, but he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua, and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai took they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness where they pursued them. And when they all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise over it a heap of stones that remains to this day. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The stranger, as well as he who was born among them, half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, but the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let me pray for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, Give strength to us tonight. As we sit again, as we listen, as I speak, may all of this, this holy transaction whereby you, through your Spirit, impart life to us, strengthen us, make us fit for the fight as we wage war against darkness and unbelief by your sword even now that is your word. May we bring light to the dark places, life where there is death, hope where there is despair. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Uh, what began with a clear commission to march around the city of Jericho the subsequent victory that God gave to Israel, the rebellion of Achan, and God's judgment and restoring in his people not a fear of Ai but of himself, for in their sin they trembled in fear. And God removed from them the ability to win because of the sin that was in their own camp. We learn something from that, that the world is not just an enemy enemy. Without, but the world, the flesh, and the devil also seek to lurk and conquer from within. After God teaches Israel to fear him again, he then here in Joshua 8 restores the right order. He says to Joshua, it is time. It is time to go to Ai, and he designs for Joshua that plan that Joshua communicates to Israel as to how they are to attack and win and destroy that city that remained in the way of taking hold of the land promised to them by God. This is our Father's world. He owns all of it. It is his, and he can do what he will with it. Now, all of what God does is according to his holy will. God cannot do anything. He can do that which is in accordance with his holy will. He cannot sin. He cannot err. He cannot violate his own righteousness, that being that is impassable and ineffably good and holy. God desires for his people to manifest his holiness in their lives and in the land. Now, kids, if you're like me, And I'm still like this sometimes, especially when I read from longer chapters. In the Old Testament, I wonder, how is this going to go down? This isn't a particularly long chapter. I've read much longer chapters. Maybe you'll remember Deuteronomy chapter 28 had 68 verses. And a lot of that was the bad news you receive if you disobey. Um, Can you imagine, and I'll get to it in a moment, the end of Joshua 8, this covenant renewal ceremony... Uh, Where Joshua read all of the law. That means Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's a long reading. That's a long sermon. And it wasn't just the adults, there were others who were there. We see there the women, the little ones, and the strangers. Now, these kinds of covenant renewal ceremonies, just like this, were somewhat infrequent, at least when it comes to the mass amount of literature. But what God is doing in Joshua 28 is putting a beautiful bow on a narrative episode in the life of Israel that was confirming to them that he was their God and they were his people. It was a sweet celebration. It was a covenant renewal ceremony that came on the hills of a great victory. Heels, I should say. Not hills. Heels of a great victory. But even that victory followed what? A pretty nasty episode. And this is sort of the way of it, right? Between God and his covenant people, the cycle of victory... Rebellion, judgment, repentance, forgiveness, on and on and on. And the story doesn't seem to shift, which is why one of the important elements of all good exegesis when it comes to understanding the Old Testament is to see that there is an element that remains for the New Testament church to fulfill the Old Testament church's mission. To conquer the world. But that cannot happen apart from the commander of the army of the Lord. If Christ does not make his people holy by the justifying act of his free grace, then there is no hope for world domination. There is no power in the gospel, there is no blood shed to make us holy. And so even as we look at Joshua 8, we see contours of things that continue, but we also see a glimpses of light of a kind of prophetic anticipation of the Messiah who will come. It's not only redemptive historical. It's also application Both of these things ought to be pulled and lifted from the Scriptures together. So what do we learn tonight? Two points that I want to make. The first, the grace and gift of plans and victory. The grace and gift of plans and victory. As soon as I read that, I go, they have no idea what I'm talking about. I will explain it, I hope. (laughs) Second, Israel's obedience... And the plan fulfilled. Israel's obedience and the plan fulfilled. Let's look at this first point and I'll unpack it. The grace and gift of plans and victory. Now what is God endeavoring to do? In the first part of this book and throughout the length of it, God is endeavoring to instill in his people priorities that the fear of the Lord sits first as an emotional response to all that we see. Everything is to be viewed through the lens of God is my king and him shall we fear. Achan did not fear the Lord. He loved the wealth of Babylon And so he took for himself that which God would have in due time share with Israel. But the first fruits of that first victory belonged to God. They were his. And God said explicitly, those things that are devoted to destruction are to be brought to me, consecrated. Achan did not need it, but he took it, brought sin into the camp, and so what did God do? He taught the nation how to fear again in an act of public discipline. Public discipline is very good for the health of the body. We see this even in the church today. When someone errs publicly, there is a public response from the rulers, the session of the church. And they publicly say, this is what has happened, this is the response, this is the discipline. The reason for that is so that those who are out there may be kept from the same kinds of sin and they may learn to fear God. And so Yahweh has taught Israel where fear comes from. Unholy fear comes from where? Sin in the heart, sin in the camp, rebellion, it's a cancer, it steals all that is good. But holy fear and uh, um, righteous reverence is nurtured by both grace and deliverance, wrath and judgment. That is God doing what God does among people like you and me. And so in Joshua 7, God taught them to fear him again. But the discipline was over. The Lord doesn't linger. Here he says, all right, now it's time for action. So what does he do? He comes to Joshua And to Israel through Joshua, and he gives to them the plan. I want you to think of it like a huddle. I remember growing up, there were times in my life, and we had this rule. There were only three siblings in my home growing up, and each of us would buy one other person in the family one gift for Christmas. It was easy to do because I only had to get really three or four gifts. Two gifts, one for each of my sisters and one for my parents. It didn't cost me a lot. We didn't need to do the, what's the other approach, the uh, secret Santa. And my dad was pretty good at picking out things for my mom. And one of the ways in which he endeavored to inspire me to get excited about giving gifts is every December he would invite me into his closet and he would open that secret place where he would have things hidden, and he would say, look at what I got your mom. Isn't that cool? And so not only was he excited about getting this thing for my mom, but now I'm excited, and I know what's getting ready to happen. So on Christmas Day, I am sharing not in a sort of what is it going to be, but in the anticipation of how she will respond to the gift that I know she will love the secret council of the Christmas gift. Or the huddle, you know, the play, where the quarterback calls the guys around and they get the play from the offensive coordinator that's sitting up high or maybe on the field and says, this is what we're going to do. This is the play we're going to run. And everybody gathers around and they're in the council, they're on the field... This is how we will get into the end zone. This is how we will gain yardage on our opponents. What God is doing in revealing his plans to Israel and what he does for us in revealing his plans to us is he gives us a kind of satisfaction, a feeling of importance by bringing us into those plans and then giving us the confidence because we know who is giving them. Are you following me? It isn't just that there is a plan. It's that you and I have been brought into the councils of God, and he has given to us what is needed to win the day. And so he comes to Joshua, and you might think as an Israelite, boy, God's mad. The kind of petty emotion that humans Sort of have for each other. When is he going to get over it? He's over it. He's ready to move on. He now says to Joshua, this is what you're going to do. You're going to feign fear. You're going to ambush them. And Joshua brings Israel. And there, the leaders of the tribes with Joshua... Get the plan from God. And they're going, what? Let's do this thing. Let's go. Let's go. The testimony of faithfulness is the plan. And it's not just a plan. Joshua didn't come up with it. It was given to him directly by God. And because it came from God, not only was it a good plan, but it would be a successful plan. Because God ordains not only the ends, but the means to get to the ends. I want us to think of Matthew 28 that way. When Christ calls his apostles to him, they've been through a series of highs and lows, I think you could probably say. They just saw their rabbi crucified, then raised from the dead. Judas has betrayed them. They bring in another. All of this stuff is happening. And the question is where do we go from here? What's the plan, Lord, teacher? And what does Christ say? I'm going to tell you exactly how to win. Do you think of the Great Commission that way? It isn't just, all right, and God, like some divine watchmaker, as we know this sort of deistic way of thinking, Christ isn't just shoot the apostles out into the world hoping that something will stick. He directs them how to go. He equips them with the Holy Spirit, and then he gives them the exact plan For how to conquer their enemies. This is why, when they got together at the end of the book of Joshua, they read the whole thing. They read the whole Bible as it had been given up to that point, the whole thing. Because what is the Pentateuch about? What is the theme? This is God's world, and though man fell, he knows how to reclaim it for himself. It is a whole narrative, beginning to end, of how God will, through the Son, the seed of the woman, bring to Himself the nations. It's the playbook. I mean, you've seen professional teams get fined for this kind of stuff. I think the winner of the last World Series got caught doing this sort of thing intercepting what? calls so that they could know what's coming. Why? Because to know the plans of the enemy is integral in forming a winning plan. Now, for the church, as God is leading Israel here to Ai, he says, this is what you're going to do. You will take a group of people. They will go and hide on one side of the city You, Joshua, will take another group of people and feign an attack. And once you sort of go and then you feign a retreat and the other, the the folks in AIC, oh, look, they're running again. They come out after you knowing that you're going to be an easy target. And then the 30,000 men that are waiting will go into the city and burn it to the ground. I mean, it's a pretty good plan. But it's not just a good plan because of the content of its military strategy. It's a good plan because of the one who has given it. It is not just workable. It will achieve the objective because God is able to achieve the objective. So when we hear from the Lord, this is how you are to do it, You don't say, okay, well, that's plan A. How are we really going to do it? Because this is oftentimes the way the church thinks. God has given us the great commission, but what about X? Let's do this instead. Now, what has God given to the church and imbued with power whereby we might in his time... Be victorious over the kingdom of darkness. Are you ready? super complicated. Word, prayer, sacrament. (gasps) That's right. Word, preached and taught, read. Sacraments, there are but two. Baptism and the Lord's Supper and the right administration of them and availing yourself of them faithfully and prayer. Those three primary means of grace Christ has given to the church and he says so long as you implement these means you will be victorious and we struggle with the same struggle of israel don't we how how's that possible it's the same way that shouting at a wall brings it down what I'm sorry, do you think there were people marching around the city thinking, surely there's a component of the plan that God has not revealed to us, that in due time, some nuke will drop from the heavens, right? <clears throat> no. Now this plan, it makes a bit more militaristic sense, but still, the beauty is God told them exactly why because Israel needed to be brought into the counsel of God in order to gain confidence. It is very much like a father and a child. There are these, you know, things are going good in the house. There's peace. And then all of a sudden, sudden sin, some disobedience, some betrayal. And so discipline is required. Heinous sin, difficult punishment, and the the tenderness and the emotional bond between father and child could be broken. There is a straining, there is wrath, and rightly so against sin. And the child looks at his father and thinks, Is this it? (laughs) Is he going to be angry with me forever? What's next? And the father wisely draws his son to himself and he begins to communicate to him the winning formula. Listen, this is something that God has called me to do in order to, to, be, to, to vindicate his, his righteousness. You must learn to fear God and hate sin. And just like those secret Christmas gift councils, the most Tender and intimate of conversations I ever had where my father were after the fact I had been tenderized, if that makes sense. He had found the connection to my heart. I had to be made soft. And it was in that softness that my dad used to speak of the things of manhood. And life, and principle of what it means to be honest and faithful and true. But I wasn't ready to look at the playbook until I had submitted to the designs of my father. And so God opens up for Israel and he says, This is what we're gonna do. And they do it. This is the grace and gift of plans and victory. Second, Israel obeys. They do it God's way. And that's really the most of the chapter, verse 9 to to verse 29. They do as God commanded, and they gain the victory. There is slaughter. They take the king, and they hang him by his neck until he's dead, all the way until evening time. They burn the city to the ground, and they bury the king under a pile of rocks. Listen, every time Israel does something on behalf of God that sort of causes us a little bit of check, like how in the world could that happen? We must stand upon the reality that God is righteous in all his judgments. Let us not judge God by feeble sense. Israel obeys God. They succeed in their invasion and in their capture and in their destruction of this wicked city. And then what do they do? I cannot help it. It's, it feels to me so much like the scene from the end of the return of the Jedi. You know the one where they're all celebrating? It's the end not only of one great battle, but three stories, a, a whole trilogy That is building to what moment? The empire is defeated. The enemies are gone. And then there is this big celebration. This is an element of what worship is. We find here at the end of this chapter, Joshua 8, a covenant renewal ceremony. It is the the icing on the cake of a hard episode in the history of Israel right as they get into the land. They are amazed at God's wrath against Achan. But then the city that they once fled from in fear, then that city flees from them. The inversion of the curse is made possible only by God's grace. And then they get together and they remember why and how all of it was possible. It's a kind of Sabbath observance in which the children of Israel come together around the altar of untouched stone, never before carved, and the Lord blesses them, the law is read, there are offerings on the altar, and they just enjoy and revel in the spoils that God has shared with them. Things were right in Israel. For Israel had obeyed the voice of the Lord. These were, in in, in a sense, the good days. But the good days are only possible, why? Because Israel had done as they had been commanded. And here the covenant is renewed. This is one of the reasons why we can speak of the worship of the saints as as having an element of covenant renewal in it. Because we remember who we are, where we came from, what God has done for us. There's no re-sacrificing of Christ, but we do what? We look to the cross of Christ as the means by which we have been forgiven. We are renewed in our expression of devotion for him. And then we get ready to get after the land again. And so there are these recurring themes in the book of Joshua that are exemplary for us today. They don't just describe periods of history that point us to Christ, though they do. They are exemplary for us. Right now, even now, yes, you should be thinking, as we celebrate a week of Christ's banner lifted high in this world, and maybe you didn't see it, In your little corner, quite like you wish you could. You know what I mean? Parents and your children. The repetition. There are lands, strange even to us, that we do not know. Where we have never been. But Christ has sent his spirit out into the world to do what? To lay hold of it. How? By the plan that Christ has established. That he says to us, Go, therefore, into all the world baptizing and teaching. dot 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 <laughs> And what will happen? The nations will be brought under the lordship of Christ. So now that we've been brought together into that huddle and Christ has revealed his plan to us again, what are we to do? We are to conquer in the name of Christ. We must fight as instructed by the Lord. He gives the strategy for he knows how to win. He's the one who was raised. He knows the way out of the grave. And so we therefore conquer in the name of Christ. And all along the way, what do we do? After a hard-fought week, we stop, we remember, we are refreshed in his presence, and then we go after the next great city. Let's pray. Lord.